I will never be young again. Or any younger than I am today. I will never be faster or more flexible. I will never win competitions against 22-year-old wrestlers in my weight class. I will never be a black belt. None of those things will happen. But none of that matters anymore. I took a walk through this beautiful world. Felt the cool rain on my shoulder. San Francisco is changing. We all know it. You can't stop it. We born here? Yeah, both generations of my grandparents were from San Francisco. On my dad's side, we came out uh, for the gold rush. So we came here in the 1850s. Author John Birdsall grew up in this town, and he's a close observer of the changes happening here. You know, when I first came out of San Francisco, I was making all the same sort of tire jokes that everybody from New York who comes out of San Francisco the first time makes. You know, I thought it was all like sort of granola and political yeah, yeah. correct. And yeah. in, in fact, that's really, nothing could be further than the truth. Right. San Francisco's like a righteously dirty town. It's good. It's grimy. You, you guys have actual street hookers in the center of town. You know, it's a two-fisted, heavy-drinking, three martini, big steaks, heavy-smoking, old-school, 20s mentality town. Still. Yeah, still, but it's vanishing. You know, Google is not, not too far from here. According to many locals, the whole character of the city is being leached out by an invasion of tech people, a flood of tech money. It's the triumph of the nerds. Out with the old, in with the new. No place epitomizes that better, perhaps, than where we are right now. Yeah, you know, I tell anyone to come and meet me here, my friends, and they, they sort of laugh at me, you know, like Sindex. But it's this thing that doesn't really exist in San Francisco anymore. It's not self-consciously divey, you know? It has this kind of faded glamour, kind of worn out, it smells kind of sour. Sinbad's lost in time, yet it's time running out, living out its last stand on San Francisco's Pier 2, just south of the hordes of neckbeards and man-bun vapors buying artisanal drip coffee a few hundred yards away. I mean, my mom used to come here, you know, she used to be uh, like a secretary. So it was a place that catered to unglamorous office workers, and those are rare and rare. Yeah, is the relentless wheel of history going to roll over this place? Or yeah, I mean, it will eventually roll over this place. I mean, the location is too good. It's one of the best views in San Francisco. A last drink or two before the grinding wheels of the apocalypse churn through, leaving what in their wake? 
they, they want to put a ferry terminal here, is that right? Yeah, they want to build a fancy ferry terminal. Young people coming here now in the tech industry are sort of um, like insulated from the culture of San Francisco. I mean, since you know the Beat Generation, or even you know since the since the end of the Second World War, people came to San Francisco in their 20s to do a very specific thing. You know, San Francisco is a place where you can have an acid trip and sort of see that all the stuff you thought about yourself is just kind of bullshit. Um, and, you know, even though culture is changing and even though it's horrifyingly expensive, right. there's still something like that that exists in San Francisco. You'll always have that. You know, San Francisco will always make that impression on you. San Francisco was built on toughness. It's a boozy town, a saloon town, red meat, sex, and dirt. Every morning, every morning, 7 a.m., I'm here. And for the next hour or two hours or sometimes more, I am just getting crushed. Humility, jujitsu gives you that in spades. In 1914, Mitsuo Maeda, master of judo and prize fighter, emigrated to Brazil. He befriended Gastão Gracie and ended up teaching his sons, Carlos and Helio. And Brazilian jiu-jitsu and the USC, it all goes back to the Gracies. My home academy is Henzo Gracie in Manhattan. I'm telling you this because the whole reason I'm doing another show in San Francisco is actually to train here. Health Gracie Academy one of the toughest and most notorious that's it so now pass it and most admired to a great extent because of the relationship between the terrifying health health gracie looks at you like he's got a problem those eyes are menacing and this man kurt osian a beloved figure in the jiu-jitsu community because of his remarkably honest and unvarnished move of the week videos so he gets stuck in a side control here, and he gave the guy underhook. Bro, you up a long time ago. It's so bad now that you're gonna have to work really hard. Scoop a scoop. Uh, in. To my knees. Head up. Getting side control on the other guy. When you see an MMA fight, when they strike, it's usually boxing or Muay Thai or karate. When they throw or trip their opponent, it's judo or wrestling. But when it hits the ground, you better know Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Object, to choke your opponent or lock one of his extremities in such a way as to make them submit. I do not want this, getting my guard broken. That's bad, it sucks. There's full mount, armbar, Ezekiel choke, rear naked choke, bow and arrow. Then, as they say, my choices become very limited. It's tap, snap, or nap. Grab his pants, now start to rotate towards the ass and extend your arm. Put your head up, no, no, don't lift him up. Put your head this way, extend this arm. Yes, pass it. Okay, it's a little bit tight, so you can always adjust it. <sighs> Thank you, 
case you haven't noticed, I'm an old school guy. I'm sentimental about some things. Nautical themed restaurants, puppies, and places like this. I'm fully aware of the fact that, and I can hear it already, it's like every show you've ever done in San Francisco, you come to Swan Oyster Depot. Yes, that's correct. True love cannot be denied. I need a counter with some familiar faces on the other side. Good morning. Let's see, what am I having? I'm having the crab back, of course. I'll get you one. I need a cold draft beer. I deserve this beer. Been eating healthy. I'm like a real housewife of New York City. I drink only vodka, you know, because it's like low carb. And I need shellfish. Like that. Whoa, Mika. Look at the size of that one. Here it is. That's the crab bag. Oh, dude. I guess somebody throws this away. You know, they tear the legs off and eat them and then throw this out. Stupid people. All that good stuff, the brains and fat and magic. It's like unicorn juice. Mmm. Swan Oyster Depot, a touchstone in my worldwide wanderings, a happy zone. If I read about myself dying at this counter, I'd say to myself, that was one lucky guy. Sweet. Nice little plate of crab leg. Maybe a little Louie on the side? Oh, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So good. All right, Tony, here you go, babe. You got uh, Kumamoto's. I got local tamales, Miyagi's. Mmm. I should eat these before training to give me superhuman strength. On the other hand, coughing up oysters all over the front of my gi would probably like, not be cool. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life... Lately, we have been paying attention to a very different virus, bird flu, which is caused by the H5N1 virus. If you start to hear that it's circulating in pigs, that would be a concern. That means I would go from sleeping with one eye open to one and a half eyes open. Yeah, that would make me very concerned. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. The Bay Area is changing forever. Will San Francisco's new overlords find a place in their hearts? 
for this. Trader Vic's, one of the last of its kind. Started in Oakland, one of a wave of tiki-themed Polynesian fantasy restaurants, bars, and nightclubs that for a time spread across America. I definitely need the drinks menu. I've been beaten like a chicken fried steak, you know? Why? Uh, oh, you were doing some sort of martial art, were you? Yes, yes. I want the Mai Tai wave. What's the Mai Tai wave? It's a flight of Mai Tais. Really? (laughs) It's like a surfboard with three different Mai Tais. Not many places left that do this. Very few do it without irony. This is not the first time you've been here. No, I practically grew up in this place. Really? My parents used to take me from like about age three. It was like a home birth at Trader Mix. <laughs> Author Sean Wilsey grew up in San Francisco. His parents were regulars at the original downtown Vix. I used to drop acid and go to Hawaii Kai, so this kind of thing is a taste of my childhood, too. Oh, yeah. So cool. <laughs> I got sent to boarding school right. when I was a teenager, an East Coast boarding school where right. everybody was like, oh, you're from the gay bay. And it was really difficult to just negotiate being from San Francisco, I would lie and say that I was from Napa because I was embarrassed, you know? Really? Yeah. I was at like a hockey school in Massachusetts. Uh-huh. And I was going to get hazed for being from San Francisco. Okay, so San Francisco for you as a kid was... Uh, I just remember all sorts of factions, like there were all these skinheads and skaters because that was like from the teenager's point of view. But then there were all the old hippies and like the slightly older beatniks and everything was really cheap. I mean, I don't think San Francisco has become an expensive rental town until maybe like the last 10 years. Okay, I love it, sort of this pan Pacific. Well, they have that like weird kind of tandoori Japanese Chinese oven. Right. Really good. Oh, really good. Do you want that rib? No, no, go ahead. I'm taking it. Okay. I mean, the narrative you're hearing from a lot of people here now is the evil techies are coming, driving up rents, pushing yeah. out the mom and pop, you right. know, uh, restaurants. Well, that's um, kind of a true thing. That's actually. <laughs> so it's the people everyone hates is Google now, right? Google and Twitter. And... They're really hated. Yeah. I mean, by certain people. Right. And of course, like outside of San Francisco, it's like they're heroes. You know, they change the world. But yeah. We like them fine. Yeah. I Google things. It's legitimate. <laughs> yes. I, I, you know, I Google things. So. <laughs> I do. It happens, right? But, but look. Uh, Excuse me. I mean, Google, they have their own buses, which is so apparently a, a, a yeah. bone of contention for people. Well, it is, yeah. I mean, the buses what? are... Is it in? I mean, I do know. I mean, apparently, like, if you work at Google or at Twitter, I mean, lunch is like, you know, freshly made frittatas and, you know, the, you know there's some uh, Italian housewife <laughs> making burrata for you. There's someone making kale smoothies. You know, and I don't have any problem with it at all. I don't really either. No. I genuinely don't have a problem with that stuff at all. I think the only point about, like, the way a city is changing is you don't just want to screw up what's cool about it. Right. You know, like, the city has a personality. It feels like kind of a seedy, old-school American city, you know? Do you just want to do the same everywhere you go? I think the San Francisco we're in right now is a pretty nice city.
It took me six months to be able to handle the warm-ups back at my home academy. And for a long time after, I'd just pray that somebody would be more out of shape than me. The warm-ups at House are legendarily tough. They're proud of it, lasting in some classes, they say, a half hour and beyond of ferocious and unrelenting interval training. You go a block over and you're in Alamo Square and that's like where the full house houses are, you know? Right. And it's super high-end real estate. But uh, we're on to Visadero, which like five years ago was sort of like the hood and it's changed a lot over the past five years. This is 4505 Meats and they started off, like Ryan would be out on the street outside of a bar with like a Weber grill, grilling hot dogs and hamburgers. And he built up his business, the reputation as like the best hamburger in the city. And then he opened this place. It's really good. This is a little bit of everything, our presidential platter. Jalapeno cheddar sausage. Yes. It's our Francaronis, well, macaroni on top of hot dogs we make inside. Oh, that's wrong. Oh, yeah. I want it. I want it. Yeah. <laughs> Ribs. Yeah. Brisket. Chicken. This from the old hog we were cooking earlier. Beans. Bit of salad. Full sauce. Life is suddenly very, very good. Thank you. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thank you, man. Thanks, man. Wow. How long have you been in the restaurant business total? Uh, 17 years now. You know, you have become, uh, reluctantly, I'm sure, sort of the poster boy for the beleaguered, you know, victimized by evil tech money. Mm -hmm. An example of what's happening in San Francisco as a whole. Yeah, there's definitely good guys and bad guys, and there's lots of people that have come in now that haven't paid any dues, and they can open something right away, you know? By dropping $4 million into it or something. Right. Over the course of five years, chef Richie Nakano built his pop-up restaurant, Hapa Ramen, into a beloved local favorite. Then he made a deal to open a brick and mortar hopper. With that money came expectations. And only four months in, the shit hit the fan. You're a month into a restaurant, you're not gonna make money. And that's when the trouble started. You were here in the restaurant, you're not making money. Yeah. Who makes money in a year? Yeah, 30 days in, and we were already sort of facing those sorts of things. The money wanted to make some changes. Richie did not. So he left. And the restaurant he created vaporized with him. At the old space that we operated out of, they're doing a vegan brunch there now. No way. Oh, that's it really is the perfect story of evil triumphs over good. And I think that's the problem with the city right now is there's a lot of people that have the means to open a restaurant and they sort of open formula restaurant. Right. It's safe. And anything that does interesting food is gonna get forced out and it's just gonna be a town full of Chipotles. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events. At this moment, the part of the protests that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that, as long as that space doesn't prevent other people from pursuing their education. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. 
coffees. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, all the way over. Extend your arms. Stay low, stay low, stay low. Now, when you're a white belt, especially a 59-year-old white belt, facing younger, stronger, far better competitors, you don't go out there looking to win. You go out there to learn how to survive. If I can hold on, break their posture, give them something, anything to think about before they choke me out and I have to tap. The changes are not just happening in San Francisco. Across the Bay in Oakland, gentrification is met with, one would think, a starker history of resistance. This, after all, is where the Black Panthers were born. Bobby Seale was a founder of the Black Panthers, a critical figure in Oakland history. And here at Miss Ollie's, we get a taste of the shiny new Oakland. The Black Panther is a type of animal if you push it into a corner, it's going to try to move out of your way. And then you keep pushing it, sooner or later it's going to come out of that corner. So I said, that's like black people, we just pushed in a corner. We came up with the Black Panther Party. I said, we're going to take a position on self-defense. The Panthers were viewed by J. Edgar Hoover's FBI, anyway, as pretty much public enemy number one. They sold the Panthers as the enemy using, well, essentially your own imagery of strong black men holding weapons. But internally, what the FBI and Nixon saw as the real threat from the Panthers was the popularity. With the killing of Martin Luther King, my organization spread across the country. It went beyond the Black Panther Party. The Panthers' aims were, by today's standards, shockingly moderate. Equality in education, housing, employment, and basic civil rights. But the image of black men with guns was too much for the America of 1966. Right after Nixon is sworn in, I got the Watergate tape. Uh, now, J. Edgar, uh, uh, um, uh, you got to get rid of these black panthers for me. I mean, what have you been doing? How are you doing this now? Uh, you, uh, I want you to move and get rid of these black panthers. Man, it's just been sworn in. This is the president of the United States. Raids are launched on Panther strong points around the country. The arrests are many. The FBI did everything they could to eradicate them. The Panthers said the police had broken in and killed one man at close range as he slept. The dismantling of the Panthers was brutal. Everybody agrees illegal. I mean, it was basically an assassination campaign coupled with murder, unwarranted arrests. We had no charges, nothing. And they created, through their counterintelligence program, everything that happened to us. Are you happy with the level of black activism in the country now? I like the level of activism that's gone. And Black Lives Matter movement is very, very important because there's a bunch of young, intelligent youth running this operation. Do you think the good guys are winning? What? Yeah, I mean, you look out at it the way the country is right. Do you think the good guys are winning? No, the, the bad guys, the Koch brothers, the... Uh, the, the bad the, guys the are winning. Tea Party and all these right-wing... Uh, uh, idiots are, are so far winning. Young people have got to go out there and they got to be progressive enough, not only to end police brutality, but to create frameworks and demand and know. These are the kinds of things that has to happen.
cauliflower. It's Indian Chinese, basically like General's chicken made with vegetables. <laughs> it's one of our most popular dishes. It's vegetable candy. Juhu Beach Club in a strip mall in Oakland's Temescal neighborhood. An unassuming but utterly delicious new addition started by this woman, Preeti Mistri. Oh, so good. So good. Thank you. So I know you've been to India a bunch of times. So maybe you've had a bell puri. It's a oh, puffed rice salad. Yes, yes, yes. So what we do, because we're in Oakland, we serve it in a ball jar. <laughs> Tamarind, chutney, cilantro chutney, pickled cabbage, pickled onions, fresh green garbanzo beans, puffed rice, and the uh, chickpea noodles, the sev. Oakland now, in terms of like artists and chefs, has basically kids who have been priced out of San Francisco. It's still possible for a place like this, which is basically funded by Preeti and her wife, to open up. I mean, in San Francisco, I don't think it's really possible anymore to do that. You know, you no. need like big investors. You need lots of funding. The food is both familiar and uniquely her own. Chili paneer is one of my favorites. This here has bok choy, braising arugula, and amaranth leaves, none of which would traditionally be in a chili paneer. Mm. Does authenticity have any meaning or relevance anymore at all? I mean, like I would say our food is not traditional. Is it authentic? Hell yeah, it's 100% authentic. But saying it's not authentic is saying that my experience is not authentic, that being a person of Indian origin who grew up in the United States is not authentic. I grew up eating Indian food, and I grew up eating pizza and hamburgers at the same time. Mm. So tasty. Something we struggle with in New York has always been, how do you value Indian food? Yeah, totally. I mean, the expectation is that you will get delicious, authentic Indian food cheap, super cheap. Yeah, our food is not cheap. You know, you look at the Yelp reviews or whatever, the biggest thing is always somehow we're overpriced. You know, $19 for a curry. Like, do you even know, a, do you know how to make a curry? Yogurt marinated chicken simmered in a curry made of onions, bell peppers, chilies, and garam masala. All right. This is our methi chicken curry, so braised on the bone. Uh, fenugreek leaves, butter, fresh red peppers in there. That's totally delicious. And then this guy right here, you're going to want to cut it open. All right, we got to get the camera in uh, over, over my left, right here. Prepare the incision. Whoa. What some people say, oh, it's an Indian scotch egg. Well, guess what? We invented the scotch egg. They didn't invent the scotch egg. No doubt. So what we've done is we took a duck egg, cooked it, kept it soft, wrapped it in lamb, and then the sauce also has braised uh, leg of lamb in it. Wow. Really extraordinarily delicious. So this is a positive thing. Yeah, I think this is a really positive thing. This is the kind of change we like. This is the kind of change we like. I believe that any place that serves delicious food is on the side of the angels. Yeah, absolutely.
Did you see the uh, vacant lot across the street? That was San Jose Chinatown, right. and it was built in 1887. That was first. That okay. was first. It was a Chinese community first. Right. 1890 was when some of the first Japanese arrived in this area. South Bay, San Jose. Not much going on out here other than world domination by a small group of tech companies. But on a happier, less paranoid note, San Jose has one of the last three remaining Japan towns in the country. Who were the first Japanese to come over? Students, laborers looking for a better life. In traditional Japanese families, the first son inherited everything. Mm -hmm. So generally, it was the second son who would get nothing right. who would come over. And when the first Japanese came here, one of the places they would stay at would be Chinatown because you would have an Asian community. Mm -hmm. They would be able to find food that was similar to Japanese food and kind of there would be a camaraderie. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Kurt Fukuda grew up in the area, and his family, like thousands of other Japanese Americans, were interned in camps during World War II. In the beginning of the 20th century, there was a lot of anti-Asian prejudice. There, there are too many, and they're right. taking our jobs in the usual. Some of them are buying our land. Things got really bad for the Japanese, of course, uh, after Pearl Harbor. With, yes. It was an internment program. So they had a list of all the names. Right. Kids, too. Yes. Everybody. Children, too. They all had to go walking to the train station in downtown San Jose. My mother did say that at the beginning, before they were put in the camps, they were brought to assembly centers while the camps were being built. And their assembly center was the race track at Santa Anita. So she said they were actually sleeping in horse stalls. What happened to their property? Some of the people found Caucasian friends to look over the property while they were gone. Some of the Japanese actually dug holes and buried the possessions, hoping that if they come back... They can dig it up. They can dig it up, yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that brown gravy. Yes. Oh, <laughs> it's sort of a hybrid of American dishes, but with Japanese ingredients. Yes. This is your typical Japantown restaurant food. I think some of the heartbreak of the internment is that this was really pure Americana. Um, okay, the faces were Asian, but, mm -hmm. but the businesses and the feel was, it was Mayberry. Right. <laughs> you know? and, and this was a Japanese-American community. Right. With an emphasis on American. The Japanese are actually a minority in this community now. How Japanese will it be in uh, 30 years? Ah, that is the question. I don't think it's good for anything to just kind of remain frozen in time. 30 years from now, Japantown is going to look very different. And if it looks like it does right now, you know, then, you know, we're talking about a very stagnant community.
you've been in the restaurant business now in San Francisco area, how many years? 26. Basically, you've been feeding well-heeled people for much of that time. Um, A whole now, life. Daniel Patterson is the chef of one of the great Bay Area restaurants, Qua. Top of the fine dining world. Two Michelin stars. But in 2014, he and chef Roy Choi of L.A.'s Kogi Empire decided to embark on a revolutionary, probably foolhardy, and entirely selfless new enterprise. But what are you up to now? What are you doing? Um, well, we're starting a fast food chain. I mean... Why? <laughs> it's unbelievable that in our country, so much of it, we've just decided it's okay for people to eat garbage, basically, processed food. The tenderloin, the area that we're going into, is the, traditionally the worst intersection in the entire city. Most drug arrests, right. most homicides. The most vulnerable populations in our country are being fed the worst food, consistently. Local intends to address all those problems, creating a fast, casual food business that's actually good for the world. So this is Roy calls awesome sauce. Tomato, onion, garlic, a lot of olive oil, gochujang. And then uh, scallion relish, mm -hmm. just grilled scallions and uh, lime. Veggie burger dressed exactly the same way. If you're like I am, the word veggie burger will strike terror into your heart. Yeah, it makes me violent, actually. This will not make you violent. It will make you happy. Wow, I'd totally eat that. If you didn't call it a veggie burger, I'd be all over this. Yeah. So fast, healthy, and affordable. Yeah, so two to six dollars. So you're not gonna get rich off this venture. We'll make money. You think you'll make money? We have to. Just because something hasn't been done doesn't mean that it can't be done. Saving the world is one thing. Making sure that my San Francisco mentor gets something to eat other than acai is another priority. This happened from, I grabbed this guy's collar and he broke my grip this way and my finger went here. I'm pretty sure Kurt Osiander hasn't eaten at Qua before. My finger broke inside my 16-ounce glove against my head. That's how hard this guy punched. Wow. Not everybody likes to get punched in the face really hard. Right. No. Patterson's signature dish at Qua, the beet rose with yogurt and rose petal ice. Oh, that's beautiful. This one disappears quickly. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Thank you. Well, it's pretty. Oh, it's going to be good, man. Mmm. Oh, this is great. Watch the barbarian eat really fancy food. <laughs> oh, that looks Sweet. cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Egg yolk, poached in smoked oil, creme fraiche, chives, California sturgeon caviar. So the egg yolk, it's raw, it's actually fully cooked. It's kind of a custard texture. Beautiful thing. Thank you, man. I, I'm going to love this. Oh, yeah. Mm. Man, I'll take eight more of those. That was really good. <laughs> Jack, why is there only one? <laughs> right. Born and bred San Francisco area? Yes. Jiu-Jitsu for how long? Since 93 since before the first UFC. What was the preeminent martial art of the time? I think it was probably karate. Oh, karate, right? Right? Chuck Norris was big then, right? Right. So it was like, kick people in the head, 
kind of thing. Cherry tomatoes, peel. Sauce underneath is grilled zucchini and wheatgrass. A lot of herbs and flowers on top. Everything I grew myself in my house. Oh, that's killer. Mm hmm. Excellent. Do you eat carbs? I mean, generally speaking, yeah. you, you just eat a full spoon, whatever. I can eat whatever. My guys are tra trying the all bacon. I'm all bacon all, all the time. All bacon all the time? Yeah, that can't be good for you. No. <laughs> Shies it. <laughs> It's good. Let's, miss, so sorry. That's okay, and thank you for calling me that. Um, <laughs> I'm not even buzzed. Wild king salmon wrapped in yuba with charred cabbage and dried scallop ginger sauce. Seared spot prawn with sorrel and new onions. Wow, this is awesome. Is that meat? Oh yeah. What is it covered in? Beef tenderloin encrusted in lichen with coastal spinach, chanterelle mushrooms, and bordelais. Yeah. Food's so good, man. So good, yeah. It's a taco. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, black sesame uh, mochi bun with oh, sweet. Uh, strawberry. Comfort and she's sorry. Awesome. Thank you so Come much. In. Thank you. It's great. Mm. Oh, this is great. Most of the people we've been talking to on the show are complaining about the fact that San Francisco is becoming too clean. Real San Franciscans can't afford to live here anymore. And that they're being supplanted by rich techies who are crushing the original heart and soul of, of what made San Francisco awesome. You're not seeing that. I think the pushing out of the trash, sorry, uh, is good. That's good for the jujitsu business, for sure. Oh, I'm 95% uh, white collar. My tech guys are really dangerous, man. Yeah. Especially my lawyers, man. I got some lawyers. Really? Oh, they're meaner than Yeah, they would be. Yes, exactly. the thing about jiu-jitsu, in spite of the fact that people are trying to basically choke you unconscious on the mats, that you're scrambling for your life in a sea of sweat, it's a remarkably and refreshingly testosterone-free zone. You good? Yeah. Now decapitated. High-fiving, for instance, is just not done. One would never celebrate or brag about a submission. Even a fist pump and a yes would be considered inappropriate. Win or lose, you thank your partner and shake their hand. It's a douche-free environment. This has been a very crazy week, Dad. Last night they took me to this crazy restaurant where they give you really small food. It was 
But then as soon as I got home, I made a sandwich. I was so hungry. Kurt's having a barbecue. Yes. Chicken hearts on. And this is why I end up on Monday smelling like barbecue and my ghee. And they're like, why do you smell like barbecue? Because I was hanging over the fire all day. As long as my hair doesn't light on fire, I'm good. And as he spent a fair amount of training in Brazil, he's making a big pot of feijoada, the country's national dish. Dude. Oh, man. Look at that. Oh, yeah. A slow-cooked stew of beans and pig parts. I grew up eating, like, every piece of the animal there is because if you're starving, you will eat whatever there is on the table, right? Plus grilled chicken hearts, tri-tip, and sausages. Gotta have sausages. Do you like it like that? Raj? Love it. Me too. I don't like overcooked meat. No, we can't have that. That's just, that's just wrong. The food is ready. Yeah. Here you go, bro. Oh, wow. Want to open that McAllen? Oh, hell no. Now, I'm going to go class tomorrow. Are you kidding me? I'll drink that whole bottle and I'll train with everybody. I know, but that's you. You're the guy who trains you with You too. <laughs> as soon as I started doing jiu-jitsu, it was like, it hit a part of my psyche that was like, Okay, it's challenging, it's more than like brute force, and you have to think. Right. See, I was always the guy, like if you were an old lady who hired me to shovel your walk, I would do half of it, and then I realized, oh, this is too hard, and I'd say, this, and I'd just disappear. Honestly, I cannot think of another thing in my life that I attacked with such uh, regularity and with, uh, I mean, I've been steadfast. It's not a matter of if you're good enough, Sometimes it has to deal with maturity. The old tends to get run over by the new. That's how it works. Whether it's San Francisco invaded by a new generation of people with different priorities or a 59-year-old man grappling with a bunch of younger, fresher, tougher, and hungrier bastards. But I don't know. I like to think there's hope. At least hope that every once in a while, the old guys will have a good day. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 